If you will, please stand with me at the reading of God's Word for us this morning, Revelation chapter 2, letter to the church of Pergamum, starting in verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. This is the word of Christ. It is true. And the Spirit is speaking it to us this morning because He loves us. You may be seated. Hold Christ's faith so you might enjoy His feast. That's the letter in a sentence. The gospel truth that this letter is teaching us this morning is this call to conquer by holding Christ's faith in order that we might enjoy His feast. It's a call to conquer the temptation that we experience, you experience, to listen to teaching that will make light of sin. And it will make much of self. You and I, want to hear about us. And we have only so much patience to hear about someone else who's greater than us. We need to know from this letter that we need to conquer those temptations to hear things that make light of the Savior. Point number one comes from verse 12. Christ reveals Himself as the sword wielder. Verse 12, Christ reveals Himself to this church. Remember, as we've gone through each of these letters, self-revelation, what Jesus says initially about who He is, is the key to the call that He makes upon that church. And He says, I know what you need. This is the the light of the world, who we were told at the end of chapter 1, who was walking among His churches, His Lamp stands, he knows each one individually. And he says, I know what you need 
church in Pergamum. And I'm going to give you what you need. And what every church needs is Jesus. So Jesus starts out by revealing what they need to remember about Jesus. Listen, Jesus, we will never reach the end of the glories of Christ. We we have Adam in the Old Testament and Abraham in the Old Testament and Noah in the Old Testament and Moses and Aaron and David and Elijah and Josiah and all these people are giving us little glimpses of Jesus because no one is like Jesus. You can't learn about Jesus from any one person and you don't know all there is to know about Jesus because you like certain things about Jesus. Every one of us likes certain characteristics of Christ thinks about those characteristics of Christ, and we need to be reminded of all of who He is. And the church in Pergamum needs to be reminded that He's the one who bears the sword. He's the one who bears the sword. Now, when they heard Him reveal Himself as the one who has the two-edged sword, I am sure they did not hear Him say, that he has this weapon, and he's going to use it the way that I use weapons, which is not much. I've got weapons, and I don't use them. He's not, they're not thinking, oh, that's a cool thing. He's got weapons. These are people who are surrounded by soldiers who have swords, and they've seen them use them. And Jesus says, you need to remember, I've got a sword. In other words... What he's reminding this church of. And in verse 17, when the Spirit is speaking to the churches, including Redeemer Church this morning, what he's reminding us of is Jesus is a judge. And whether you like to think about Jesus being a judge or not, the church needs to remember that Jesus is a judge. So Christian, when you think about Jesus having a sword, Do you ever consider that He might use it against you? Self-revelation is motivation. He reveals Himself to motivate this people to do what they need to do. And He's saying judgment is coming for some in this church, He says, to the church in Pergamon. Hold Christ's faith so you might enjoy His feast. The second point comes from verse 13 where he gives a commendation to this church. He says, you have upheld my name. And he, and he says, you have done this where Satan's throne is. So this city in Asia Minor was the capital city of that Roman province of Asia. For all of Asia, this is the capital city for Rome in Asia. It is the first city who built a temple to Caesar. So they were really loyal and they got to, to be known as being devoted to Rome and, and Caesar's power and Caesar's sword. And it says actually the one who's ruling is not Caesar. Over that city anyway, Satan is king. Which is to say that Satan is spreading his influence through all that city and all of its authorities to, 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 to further his 
purposes. And yet this church has been faithful. It says, you have, verse 13, held fast my name. What you're going to hear throughout these letters is Jesus' concern for his name. Four of the letters say something about holding up my name. He says, you have upheld my name where Satan dwells. You did not deny my faith. You did not turn away from believing in what I have said. Even though Satan is lying throughout your city, you're not believing it, church. And then he talks about my faithful witness. Now the Romans, they saw many people profess Christ. But then when Caesar took his sword and laid it on their heads and said, deny Christ and worship me, the Romans saw many people do that. They were afraid of Caesar's sword. And so the Romans started to believe that Christ is a joke. He must not be telling the truth. He must not be worthy. They must not really think they're going to live forever and ever in glory if we threaten to kill them and enter into the, the, the thing that they're saying they want. And they turn away. Not Antipas. This member of the church in Pergamum. He faced the sword of Caesar and was tempted to turn away, but he, he was a faithful witness to the very end. And Jesus is saying, whose sword are you going to fear more? All of this, he's saying, my name, my faith, my faithful witness, do you understand how concerned the Lord Jesus is about His glory? We are His witnesses. We are a lampstand that is shining light, the light of the light of the world. We are, as a church, we exist to show the world how great Jesus is. That's why He's so happy with this church that has upheld His name, His faith, His faithful witness. This is entirely appropriate because Christ died to save us out of ignoring Him. To save us to live for His name and not ours at all. And this church has done it where Satan dwells. Verse 13 begins with the reference to Satan's throne and ends where Satan dwells. In other words, it's saying, my praise of you comes to you when you're surrounded by satanic influence. You're surrounded by all these lies. You're surrounded by unfaithful people. And you, church, are faithful. This letter is turning, though, from Christ commending the goodness he sees to the church, in the church, to confronting their failures. And what I want you to see, even from the commendation of name, faith, and witness, that the whole letter is about what we do with his word. Faith in his word. His character, His name as revealed by 
him, witnessing in ways that are consistent with his word. Point number three from verses 14 and 15. A confrontation with those who are holding to false teaching. Some in the church are holding to false teaching. You as a church are characterized. I know you. You're upholding my teaching, but some of your members... Does it matter to you what other people are believing? You got your doctrine all right. Does it matter to you what they believe? Do they matter to you? Some of them are holding to Balaam's teaching. Look at verse 14. I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam. We heard this earlier from Kenny from Numbers chapter 22. Who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. How did Balaam teach the king to put a stumbling block in front of the people of God so that what resulted was they ate food sacrificed to idols and started practicing sexual immorality. The king of Moab comes to a prophet of God and he offers him a fee. He sends these honorable people with money. And says, God's people have come out of Egypt and they're going to swallow us all up. Here's some money for you to curse God's people. Will you do it? Balaam takes the money and he goes to the Lord. And the Lord very clearly answers him, I don't want you going with them. You're not going to curse the people that I bless. And Balaam goes back and in some ways looks like a good prophet and says, I can only speak what God says to me. I won't curse this people. I won't go with you. And then those people go back to the king of Moab. And the king of Moab says, do whatever it takes. And so they send more honorable people to Balaam and more an offer for more money, silver and gold. And even though Balaam had heard very clearly from the Lord, I don't want you going with them. I don't want you speaking to them. You were only to bless my people. Balaam sees the money. And he sees the honorable people. And he says, well, doesn't this sound good? I can only say what God says to me. He already spoke to you, Balaam. Well, let me see if he's got another word, since you've got more money. Church, if you've got an old word from God, you don't need a new one. If he said it, 
and he never changes, you don't need another word. If you want another word, you better think about what you want. It may sound strange to us when we hear from Numbers chapter 20, 22. Whenever, whenever the Lord, after he told Balaam not to go with them, and then Balaam comes back and says, but do you have another new word for me, Lord? It may sound strange to us that God then said to him, if they want you to go, why don't you go? And then Balaam went, and then it said the Lord was angered with him for going. He was angry with Balaam for going after telling him to go. Why? It was a test. I already spoke to you. You still want to go? Are you going to act upon my first word? And so the Lord appears to Balaam as an angel with a sword. And he's warning Balaam, do not keep going. Do not speak to the king. Or else the sword's going to fall on you. And what Balaam ended up saying to the king of Moab, if you go on reading, beloved, you've got to hear what Jesus is saying to you in Revelation from Numbers. What Balaam ended up saying to the king of Moab, was God's people are going to beat you. God can't be defeated. It was all positive things about God. It was nothing positive about the guy who was paying him. And God killed him. And God killed 24,000 Israelites because those words led the people of God to worship Baal, false gods, and to practice Sexual immorality. There is such a thing as Bible teaching that opens up God's Word, that will say things that sound so true. And this morning, Jesus is warning us that there is such a thing as Bible teaching that is motivated by self. It's motivated by people who want pleasure, who want popularity, who want money. And the result of that teaching, though it sounds a lot of it so true, it's not all the truth, and it makes people selfish. It appeals to the world. And it fills megachurches. In verse 15... Of Revelation chapter 2 says, There are some among you who are listening to the teaching of the Nicolaitans who are doing today what Balaam was doing then. You as a church are upholding my teaching, but some of your members are holding to the teaching of this, this Nicolaitan or Nicholas who, is, who has got a following. And he's saying that teaching, it may sound really good, but it will cause you to stumble. So Nicholas and his teachers and preachers may not have been telling them you should go to the, the temple of Asclepios if you want to feel healthy. He, he, he may not be verbally and, and plainly saying if you want a better crop this year, you should go worship at the, the altar of Demeter. 
He may not be out and out saying that in order to have pleasure in this life, you should go sleep with the temple prostitutes in the temple to Dionysius or worship Zeus at his altar in Pergamum or or go to the labor guilds where they're worshiping these, these false gods. But even though it's not so plain, Balaam's teaching was not that plain. He was saying things about God. And it led God's people nonetheless to worshiping other gods. And it always leads to pleasing yourself, especially illustrated in sexual immorality. What I want you to see from Revelation chapter 2 is Jesus is talking about stumbling blocks. He's not talking about boulders. He is warning you to be careful of stumbling blocks. He's not talking about boulders. Boulders don't make anyone fall. Because you're looking for boulders. It's huge. Rocks in the way. You walk around those. Satan is on his throne and he is crafty. He's not putting boulders in front of you. He's not talking about Jehovah's Witness doctrine. He's not talking about Mormon doctrine. He's talking about Christian so-called teaching in Christian churches. He doesn't use boulders. He uses little rocks that you don't see. And you nonetheless will fall over to your death. It can sound kind of biblical. They may use the name of Jesus. Listen to me, people of Graham, Bible Belt citizens. You need to hear this word from Jesus. If you think we're safe because we're, we have 45 churches in this town and because everyone you know calls your, themselves a Christian and everyone you know doesn't carry the Book of Mormon, listen. Stephen Furtick is incredibly gifted as a communicator. And he makes people feel things about Jesus. And his messages are about you. Don't listen. If you don't know that name, don't go look it up. Balaam loved gain, God's word says. So he was not satisfied with God's word as he plainly gave it. Whenever the favor of important people came and the comforts of material things were offered to him, And the result of his teaching and the result of those who are like him, the Nicolaitans and the people in our day, they're offering Christianity and the pleasures of this world. You can have them both. It's a gospel of you. Your pleasure. A God who's all about granting you the things your heart loves. All in the name of Christ. Girl, wash your face. I may be just saying things y'all don't know anything about, and I hope you don't. That book talks about Jesus. The book is about you. And lots of people search for sermons. They chase 
sermons that make you feel. Preaching was never meant to get you high. Stop looking for that. The Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul were not hooked on a feeling. Look at their life. They're all killed. None of them are rich. There is a gospel of self that is out for shameful gain. And Balaam preaches it to the enemies of God to curse the people of God. Just think about this. He preaches to the enemies of God with the result of cursing the people of God. It never started out as out and out worship of idols, but it was self-centered. It's about you. And if all the sermons are about you and your potential and what God wants for you and your pleasure, it's not much about God. It's not much about sin. Therefore, it will not be much about the Christ of the Bible. Christ's fame is tied to our faith. What we are believing Him for. What we're waiting for Him to bring us. What difference He makes in our lives in comparison to all the rest of the world. It's all about the truth of God's Word. And He's saying you need more than a casual encounter with it. If God does not change, we don't need a new word. We need an old word. We don't need to ask the question. We don't need to ask science. We don't need to ask politicians when life begins. We we don't need some advance in understanding about gender or sexuality. It's not true that we've evolved to the point where we actually get to determine what gender we are. It's never been true. We don't need anything new. And if we gather teachers whose messages end up just pleasing us and just avoid sadness now, makes life easier now, then we're not living for the Lord who we won't see until later. There are certain desires that you have to forsake the unchanging Word of God to get. There are certain lifestyles that in order to pursue it, you have to stop worshiping God. And what what this makes so clear is that denying the faith, if you're thinking the people who deny the faith are just atheists, he's talking to members of Christian churches who have denied the faith. We need discernment. We greatly need discernment for what we're taking in. Because we need to hold Christ's faith so that we might enjoy His feast. Point number four comes from verse 16. It's the call. Christ says, repent. Turn toward the end of Revelation, chapter 19. Where this imagery of the sword bearer comes up again. Chapter 19. A white horse, and the one on it is called Faithful and True. This is all about His truth and His Word. 
In righteousness, he judges and makes war. His, his eyes are like a flame of fire. He has many crowns. He has a name written on himself that no one knows but himself. He is clothed with a robe that is dipped in blood that came from his sword. And the name, his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven are with him. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He's going to tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That is the vision Jesus says in chapter 2, 16, is coming a perfect and awful judgment from a righteous mouth. The sword comes from his mouth. I don't think we're literally going to see Jesus with a sword for a tongue. What he's saying, again, this is about his word. He's going to judge everyone by his word. He's going to see everyone. He's going to look at our lives and see what we've really been believing. And he's going to say to many, depart from me, from his mouth, and they'll go away to suffer forever. He's going to judge according to his word. Everything will be matched up according to whether it matches up with what he has said about his name, his faith, the witness of Scripture. They will be judged because they didn't learn Christ. They were interested in other things. They didn't love Christ. They didn't live for Christ as he said in his word to. Beloved, that will happen to everyone who does not have a Savior. And what it means to have a Savior is to know that we deserve for him to stomp us to swing his sword to, on us, to spill our blood in righteous anger for the sins we personally committed against him. And those who realize that and realize he is the only good that we could have. He is the only God that we can trust. And this God has not just sent a judge. Before He sent the judge, He sent a Savior, His own Son, to live the life that we did not live. And then to die the death that we had coming to us. And to take all God's wrath for our sins on Himself before He gives it to us. Christ did this on the cross. And then God raised him from the dead, accepting that sacrifice and giving Jesus all authority to save everyone who will love him. Revelation 19 will happen to everyone who lives for themselves. Everyone, no matter what you say about Christ. But it will not happen. According to verse 17 of our letter, which we're getting into in a moment, it will not happen to those who turn to Christ and know that he's Lord. And live under his word. And who will go to life everlasting with him. The first call that Christ has to each one of us is trust him. Turn from your sins. And he will save you. He will save you first from himself. And he will save you for himself. Which is what we'll see in verse 17. But first, verse 16. 
Notice who Jesus is going to war against. I want you to look carefully at God's word. Chapter 2, verse 16. Who is Jesus going to war against? Them. Them. Not you, church. Verse 13. You who are upholding my name. He's going to come with a sword and he's going to war against them in verses 14 and 15 who've turned away from the truth. He's going to war against them. If you swerve from his truth, you will receive his sword. What a load off. I mean, Christ must be saying, just get your authors right. Be real picky about the things you read. Make sure you've got a good preacher. Make sure you're a Berean. He's just saying, isn't that what he's saying to us? Just make sure you hear the truth and test it against the word. And that way you won't get the war of Christ. Stay in the word. Take up your cross. Devote yourself to purity. Guard yourself from loving this world. Take care of your family. Get them to church so that they hear the truth. The right church so that they hear the truth. Make sure you're having family devotions with your family and everything's fine. No. That's not what he says in verse 16. He says, I'm going to come and war against them. But who does he call to repent? You, you church who are upholding my name, you church who are holding fast to my faith, you church who are a faithful witness to me, you repent. He's not coming for you. He's coming for them, but he is talking to you and he's calling you church to repent. Redeemer church, what if we have 90% of our members who cherish sound And only 10% swerve. Those odds are pretty great. Wouldn't we take those odds? I imagine that's, that, that, if that were to be the case, that would be a lot better than a lot of churches. Wouldn't we rejoice in that? And Jesus says to them, repent. Repent of your neglect of them. They won't survive if they don't repent And they won't repent unless Jesus says you repent from your ignoring of their faith, for your apathy and your indifference about what they're hearing and they're believing. Repent. Change your mind. You've got a perspective in your mind. You think like them. You think your life and your salvation and your eternity is all about you. You need to repent. It is not enough for real Christians to experience salvation when the members that they are supposed to love are going to hell. Do you want a church to warn you of the sword? Because there's a lot of churches that will hide the sword from you. Do you want to be friends with the people in your church now or forever? You don't want a church and you don't want friends who will excuse or ignore 
the things that you love that are taking you to hell. You need, not want, you need, according to Jesus, a people who not only know the truth rightly, that's what you need, but they care about you and can help you from swerving to avoid Christ's swinging. This is about church discipline. That may not be a term you're familiar with. You may have never experienced that in a church. That's what Jesus is calling this church to do. He's calling them to call the people to repent. He's telling them to stand in the place of the angel who has had the sword. And he was warning Balaam, don't go any further. Or I'll wipe you out. He's saying that we need to step into that role and call people who are swerving from the truth to repent. And if they will not repent from the things that they are believing that are false, to remove our assurance of their salvation and their membership. Because we love them. Because we don't want Christ to war against them. Because they need a warning. Membership in a church is a ministry. Membership in a church is a ministry. If you're a member of this church, do you know the members of your church? Do you know them? Do you know what they're reading? Do you know what they're listening to? Listen to me. Listen to me. This world will entice you to live for you and profess Christ. If your days are filled with you taking care of you, your family, and you are not serving the faith of the members of your church, how can you say you are obeying, verse 17, to conquer the temptation to make your life about your relationship with Jesus and ignoring other people going to hell in your church? Their hope for repentance is in your repentance from tolerance. We need to be a church who calls out to one another, we don't want you to defame Christ. We don't want His sword to destroy you. We want you at the feast of the Lamb. And that takes us to point number Five, the consequence of verse 17. Manna and stone. Yesterday, I did what I had resisted by grace from doing for four decades of my life. I am a soccer player, and as a soccer player in Texas, I know that part of the evil world system where Satan rules is the game of football and My brother was organizing this event, and for his support and for the children, I went to this little father-son football uh, tournament thing, and they were telling us right at the beginning, because they they need to say these kinds of things to football players. 
They said, don't be that guy. Don't be acting like you're going to relive your glory days of high school and, and uh, steal things from the kids or, 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 or tackle or take their little flag away. Don't be that guy. And I was just thinking, yeah, listen, glory hounds. You need to hear this. Well, then I got in the game. And I'll have you know that by the beginning of the second quarter, I had two interruptions. I should have heeded the warning after my first pick from the other team whenever I um, caught the pass of a little little child um, and he cried the rest of the game, the rest of the game, and, and had to be dragged off the field literally by his father. I ruined everything for him, and I'm thinking, I didn't ruin it for him. He shouldn't be playing this game. I should have taken the warning from that little brat that uh, this is what football produces, Ryan. You got one good catch, move on. But the world, this is the way the world works. It just woos you. It sucks you in. And so I committed myself, okay, I, I'm a pastor. I'm going to try to protect people from spiritual you know, wrongdoing and sin. I don't want to tempt those kids to, 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 to be brats. And, and so I'm, I'm just not going to take, take another catch from the other team if a little child throws it. But then I'm in the game, and a little kid throws it, and it's something I can get to. I had to jump for it. I jumped for it. I pulled that thing down. And then I learned why they call that an interruption. Because uh, I was running for a goal, I know it's called an interception. You're supposed to, I'm a soccer player, and I'm running for a goal, a touchdown. Anyway, I'm running for a touchdown, and I don't know, it just seems so glorious, all the promises. And then there was this interruption, a pop. Uh, It promised glory, and it tore my hamstring. Uh... I should have known. The Lord didn't want Balaam to go because he wanted his people to be blessed. We need to, I mean, learn from my failure. Resist every offer the world makes to you. Jesus is saying it will be worth it not to eat food sacrificed to idols because I will give you manna. Jesus says in verse 17, it will be wise to avoid stumbling stones because I will give you a better stone. This is what Jesus is offering in verse 17. Better food, the hidden manna. See, the Jews believed. They had this story that when Nebuchadnezzar was coming to the temple to destroy it, Jeremiah got into the temple first and he took the ark of God which had the jar of manna inside it and Jeremiah took it up to Mount Sinai and that one day the Messiah was going to return to his exiled people and he was going to bring them the hidden manna and they were going to enjoy this feast together. And Jesus is saying, after in Revelation 19, I judge all my enemies, I'm going to bring you to a feast. And I'm going to satisfy you forever and ever with me. In verse 17, he's offering them better fellowship than they can have from, those, from that sexual immorality that the world is offering them. I'm offering you, he says, the white stone and a new name. In John's day, what was very popular were these sporting events. And, and the one who conquers like our team conquered yesterday. We won in the end. 
I played less than half of the game. I just watched and read it on. But anyway, the, the, in their day, whenever a team conquered the other comp- competition, they were handed this admission ticket to a VIP banquet. And that ticket was a small white pebble. And if they got this white pebble and they had conquered, they can get into this wonderful feast. The world is offering you fullness. And Satan is getting inside Christ's churches and he's taking in worldliness and self-centered preaching that offers you Christ forever and pleasures now. Eat the idol's food, he tempts us to do, and you will get the idol's goods. Enjoy physical intimacy so that you'll feel important and loved and valued and happy and Christ will forgive you. And Christ is saying what you already know. Sin never satisfies. You know this. Every time you give in and it leaves you empty and miserable and guilty. Jesus is saying in verse 17, the world only knows how to embitter you. I know how to bless you. Wait for the blessing. In John's gospel, the new manna that Jesus was saying God sent from heaven was Jesus. And in Revelation, whenever we see this phrase, the new name, it everywhere else refers to Christ's name, which He is giving to His people. And this is the promise, I will give you my name. This is about a feast of of fullness at the end of time where we get God. We get the creator of everything good. And where we get real intimacy, not substitute intimacies. We get a personal communication of love and affirmation in this new name that no one knows, but the one who receives it from Christ Himself. So conquer. Resist these substitutes for What is real? It's deferred. You have to wait, but it will satisfy. Hold Christ's faith so you might enjoy His feast. Oh God, we pray. By Your Spirit, we would repent of every attitude that is just worried about our own salvation and is, is, not even trying, is not even concerned to get to know the people in our church and what they're actually cherishing in their hearts. Prevent us from being the kind of church who's okay with people in our care who are going to hell. Make us a church who hears your word and shares your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.